Hi, this is Simon from Silent Sales. Just before we start this episode, I wanted to make you all aware that I've now entered the realm of Instagram. If you'd like to pick up regular sales tips, then please follow me at Silent Sales UK. Whilst I'm sure Steven Spielberg won't be too worried about the production quality, I believe the content's certainly worth a look. Anyway, enough of the self-promotion and on to this episode's guests, who are the owners and directors of First Aid Box Training Solutions, Emma Gates and Bruce Dougal. Following on from the last episode where I spoke with Catherine from the Work Happy Project, this episode also touches on mental health and in particular the need for mental health awareness training in the workplace. Bruce and Emma talk about how running a business as a couple is part of their brand despite their sales styles differing and I delve into a challenge I've faced in my past employment which is how to ensure the dreaded fear cell is avoided and how to make a dry topic engaging. Bruce enlightens us on the art of selling confidence and we also touch on the importance of taking time out from the business as it can easily spill into your home life when the owners live together. You can check out First Aid Box's offering at fabtraining.net where you'll not only see an array of safety training courses but also their ability to offer first aid support at events and even train you in pet first aid. Although I think the mouse that my youngest cat brought me last night was probably beyond help as it seemed to be missing a head. A lovely couple, a new dynamic for the podcast and I know that you'll enjoy. So hello to Bruce and Emma. Hi. Hi Simon. Hi, lovely for you to join me. I really appreciate it. You're my first couple on the podcast, so I don't know what I've let myself in for. <laughs> Neither do we. <laughs> well, I, I'm interested, um, just before we get started, um, in the whole sort of podcast thing, really. So, um, Bruce, I'll start with you. Do you listen to any podcasts? Have you got any favourites? And where do you listen to them? Yeah, um, it, tends to, it tends to be in the car um on my way to jobs um on my way to sort of training sort of days I, I i travel up and down the country so i i get uh time um yeah probably my favorite way of getting cpd continuous professional development um i use um a set of guys um that that record a show called the the recess room um, um my background is sort of ambulance and things um, and first aid training so yeah they they do a, a great podcast that, that goes from uh, as they describe roadside to resus and it takes takes you through a patient's journey from from uh, an ambulance crew standing by the side of the road and through a through a series and set of scenarios focusing on different things cardiac arrest and, and things like that um, through to yeah one of the guys is an A&E uh, doctor um, so then they'll talk through the hospital process. So yeah, it's it's really interesting to see from various different people's point of view how how the the patient's journey will be literally physically journey, but also um, medical journey through through to to hospital and into a ward. Oh, fascinating! What about uh, yourself? What about yourself, Emma? I, I'm only, I'm quite a, a podcast newbie. Um, I think I got into it really just before lockdown. Um, we we as a as, as a family have a couple of dogs, so one of my daily jobs before you know get the kids to school and then take the dogs for a walk. Um, and I discovered the ability to be able to listen to them on my phone while I was walking. Um, and I started off because I wanted to teach myself about marketing. Um, I was aware that as a company we weren't maybe marketing ourselves in the best way our social media was a little bit hit and miss um, so rather than spending the time when I was at home um, sort of using my time wisely while I was out walking the dogs podcast is ideal you can walk you can listen and I take in quite a lot by doing that that's quite a way that I learn quite well so, so yeah so I, I basically mine was just searching searching the internet looking for recommendations asking other people if they'd ever use marketing and and sales um tip which i suppose is similar to this one mm. um yeah so that was my that was my newbie newbie uh introduction to podcasts and i have carried it on and i am following a few now and so yeah it's good like, i enjoy it it's a it's a good way you good use of my time i feel well, a lot of people talk about them as a, a great companion piece. So I suppose, yeah, when you're walking your dog, 
you've got that sort of mindfulness essentially but it, it can be a bit lonely um, and also um, when you're out in the car knowing from my field sales days in particular and when I'm traveling a long distance for for some training um, you know you, it becomes a little bit sad where you're trying to start up conversations at a moto service station because you haven't <laughs> spoken to anyone for hours um, and with a podcast it, um, yeah you've, it's that companionship isn't it Absolutely. And I, and I do find, I say, I find that I do learn. I actually take the information tends to sink in when I'm relaxed and I'm enjoying and I'm walking and I find that the information I'm listening to does sink in more than if I'm sat at a computer screen, really. Yeah. Um, so, yes. Although, you know, yes, I get, I get the companionship bit, but actually for me, it's definitely a learning thing as well. Okay. So thank you. I am, I'm keen to start really with understanding the dynamic of having a couple um, in a company, which is quite uh, quite quite common in in SMEs in particular. Um, but it can affect companies in a different way depending on the roles. So, and I don't know who's going to start, and maybe this will tell me about the dynamic. Who will answer this first? But does <laughs> does it affect your? Um, is it an integral part of your brand and does it affect the way the company works positively, negatively? Let's start there. Yeah, and, and it will be me that starts, so I don't know what that tells you about our <laughs> dynamic. Um, obviously, yeah, we, we are a couple. We're a couple in, in life as well in business, and we do we make no secret of that. We, we do tell people that as, as part of our brand and as part of our company ethos. Um, we brand ourselves as a family-run business. That's a, a big part of who we are. Um, and I think it's a big part of what makes people come to us. Um, you know, they do see us as the company next door, even though we are national, uh, we are still perceived as the company next door. Why, does um, that, why do you think that matters to people then? Why, why do they, why is it important to um, position yourself as a family, a family company? What, why do people care? Why, why do you think they care? I think it adds to the overall sort of customer experience that, that, that they've got sort of both of us there and we're aware of the customer from sort of different perspectives if i've met a, a group in a in a training room in a large business i'll be discussing through through training we, we discuss all sorts of bits and pieces and we'll get down to the nitty-gritty we'll discuss the bolts of how the company work on on a uh, if you want to use the sort of the, the shop floor type title of of it you know how the the workers actually do the job um i'll come back to emma i'll discuss at the end of the day um, within reason what's what's happened during the day and what the customer what the actual shop floor customer wants what they need where 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 they're looking at going it might be that I've highlighted an issue within the company or it might be that I've highlighted some good practice that we can that we can work with them on um, I'll pass that on to Emma we'll, we'll if genuinely we'll sit down to tea and, and we'll have a chat over, sort of in and around the kids and like, oh well by the way did you realize that, that this company does this as well and, and did you realize that they do that um, so which then Emma can come back from the the admin the HR she can go back to the the, the, the human resources element and go back and say look actually we noticed this when we were in the training room the other day um, can that you know, do you, how do you feel about incorporating this into your training schedule, into your into your workplace? Um, and yeah, they, they, I, I was in a, a customer's the other day, and we were discussing a, a new product for them, uh, and we were talking about this, and and the HR manager was saying saying to us, "Yeah, I discussed that with Emma the other week, and and we, you know, Emma and I work on this side of it, and." Yeah, I know you do. That's why I'm having a conversation with you about it because you you've had a conversation, uh, and it's literally I can go and sit with them, and, and they can then come back to Emma and say, "Yeah, we were chatting with Bruce the other day, and I want to talk about this." I've I've um I've heard before with couples that they have they have this rule where as soon as the uh, the door opens in the house, they don't talk about work. Now, I've never believed any couple who's actually said that. I think that is. I, I would agree. I don't see how how you can do that because obviously work for anybody is such a, a major part of their lives, especially even if you're working for a company. It's still a, you, people who go out to work for a business. You can't tell me they don't come home and talk about their work with their other halves, which is in a, in a sense what we do. We don't sit in an office all day together. We don't see each other sometimes for four days at a time. If Bruce is out on the road training and I'm in the office doing admin. So 
the same as any other couple when we do see each other we are going to talk shop mm. um so we try and not let it overtake us obviously but it does happen but i think i think and i agree with you simon i think any couple that says they don't do that i don't think are being strictly true to themselves no no, no. Um, and we we get some of our best work done at that time because it's when we're relaxed so when we're relaxed and we're just chatting we find that we we find that we can we can talk more openly we we snippets of information come out and we can have that chat and we just drop them down it just works well for us um but going back to what you said about being a couple and for the customer and i think that does show to the customer i think the fact that they're not just a number they're not just somebody that we've taken money off they're not just a set that we really do talk about them and we talk about them and we care about that whole experience um which i think is something that that gives us good feedback and also gives us that edge um so the family run thing i think does work really well for the kind of business we're in so you you mentioned there then so we, we touched on sales and that's the obviously the thread of this of this podcast and it's interesting because you you talked about essentially what you're talking about there is collaborating internally and then added adding value to the customer because you're you're um understanding their their needs essentially by getting under under the hood as it were but i'm interested then so if you take a sort of stereotypical um or archetypal sales person and we all have those in our heads whatever that might be and usually it's not the best um image <clears throat> but which one of you is the most salesy would you say and and, and why i think again we, i think we're both quite strong on the sales side however we do have massively different approaches and we do approach sales and i think we view sales in a different way um so i think i'm much more conventional and as you just said simon i think i'm more probably stereotypical in the fact that i identify a lead i look for an inroad i then go in and i make i try and make that sale i try and secure that that business um whereas i think bruce i'll let you answer you're you're a different situation uh, I, th I think the 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 I suppose uh, hot-headed comes to mind with me. I'm I'm reactive. I will see somebody in the training room. I will chat to them. I will I will then suddenly go click. Ah, you need X. Um, and and sort of more of a reactive sort of sales. I'll, I'll see I'll see a hole in in what they're doing and. I'll, I'll try and plug that hole and I'll talk to them about it there and then um, I'll walk out the training room and I'll go around the corner to the to the to the training manager back to the health and safety manager because our, our business is predominantly sort of health and safety related first aid mental health those sorts of things so I'll go back to the health and safety manager and say right I've, I've spotted this your manual handling maybe could do with a little upgrade and, and and have you looked at this and thought about this so i'm more of sort of uh, an immediate sales um classroom um uh, here's a first aid cabinet full of uh, first aid boxes which one of these do you need um although i'm beaten on that on a regular basis by one of our trainers who just outsells me completely uh, and it's quite a running joke in the company that, that i'm the one that sells the least amount of first aid boxes in a classroom well, that's your prerogative. It's your it's your company. You're you're both in your company, so you know. Oh, don't feel that one. Don't feel that one with Oh, I I like that outcome. Right now, now that's that's the thing. Now you have to sell, uh, Harry. Uh, I don't. I own my business. I don't have to sell if I don't want to. <laughs> but it sounds like it's quite a good. Uh, you, you're complementing each other quite well, then, because what you've got is that is Emma. If you're if you're more of a hunter to use the, the, those, and 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 Bruce, you're more of your farming. You know, existing relationships and trying to add additional value. Then that is a really good blend because I think it does. It works really well. I think we we do we we recognise and we respect each other's skill sets in that way. And I think where where they overlap. 
that's where we utilize the, the ability and we, we utilize that skill and, we, and that's where we get the sales so no I would agree I think we do mm. we complement each other really well in our skill sets and in the way that we do do the sales and um, so uh, but I'm definitely more of the researcher as you say and the hunter and mm. um, so I'll look and I'll make lists of various companies that I think we should be going to and there the whole lead generation thing is what i do and then bruce is definitely the the more spontaneous hit iron strike while the iron's hot sales it it does work really well it does work as a a good partnership yeah i I work on the customers at the end of the day and sort of say right if you've got anybody else that you want to you know if you know any other companies you know get them to give us a shout type of thing and and we can help like we've helped you um I'm, i'm working around the the sort of word of mouth element if you like rather than Emma, but like she says, planning and going. Um, if if nothing else, the sort of the trawling through the yellow pages for X type of company, um, and we've got this product that would be good for this type of company. Go and trawl the 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 internet, the yellow pages, whatever it might be, and look for those types of businesses. Whereas I, yeah, I work on the the customers from a from a. You're in the training room. Do you know anybody? Does anybody you know go and chat to your friends, husbands? wives whatever it is and and you know do their companies need us mm. Refer- referrals is, is, a, is a huge thing these days that's taught uh, taught to, to most salespeople, uh, along with uh, people banging the huge drum of social selling even though they don't always understand what what that means I th- I'm, I'm interested then Bruce from from, from your perspective I, I have a upcoming episode where I'm going to be talking with a high profile lecturer at Manchester University about um, about selling concepts as part of teaching um, and further education, and I'm interested in from a say, from a from a trainer's perspective. You're essentially, particularly with men, the mental health side. I, I suppose it's something like manual handling. You're selling a known theory. Um, you know, if you do this, this will happen. If you don't do this, this won't happen. That sort of thing. It's it's relatively black and white. Um, whereas with mental health there's there's much more um what's well, much grayer shall we say in terms of the way people can be affected or or not affected because of the character types so i'm interested then from a trainer's perspective how you are essentially selling that type of um concept that type of knowledge yeah i think i think you're probably more selling confidence rather than um, like you say, a particular product, a particular uh, thing uh, from the from the first aid point of view. Yes, I, I teach them X skill. I'm selling them a skill in the classroom um, for for yep, CPR or something like that. Yeah, you, you, you've got to sell them a, a concept of being able to um, have, have a sort of a, a mental well-being and to be able to speak to them. It's being able to sell somebody how to how to have a conversation with somebody else and and that's that's like you said you know it really depends on what people come and sit down in front of you with at that point in time you're quite right mental health is so wide and varied that you know and and actually we reverse round when when i'm doing physical skills the first aid the cpr type of stuff then I'm telling them how to do it. I'm giving them a skill. Whereas when I do the mental health training, I'm actually avoiding doing that. I'm I'm completely turning training on its head as I traditionally have known it. Whereas I would give them in in a physical way, uh, a way of doing it. I actually turn that on its head when I do the mental health training and say, well, how would you do it? You've got to be you at this point in time. I'm not going to give you a sentence to say to this person because every single person that you get coming, sitting down in front of you and having a mental health conversation with you will have a completely different outlook because it's completely individual to that person. Um, And trying to just sort of sell a, a confidence and an idea that they've got to then take off and build and work on. I, I like that the, the selling confidence. So, so on the other on the other side then, or, or, or further up the funnel, Emma. So when you're when you're talking to prospects, um, is there's a danger, isn't there, that you're if you don't get if you don't get your um, approach right, you're selling fear, which is always a dangerous a, a dangerous place to be because 
it's very old fashioned. It's not, it's frowned upon and, you know, your reputation could be severely damaged. You know, you know, if you don't have this, then you're breaking the law. If you don't help your, um, if you don't help your employees, then they're all going to have mental breakdowns. You know, that type of awful, I'm not suggesting you say that, but how do you, how do you navigate around avoiding that fear cell that's obviously a big no-no? We tend to, rather than doing the harping on about the you must have, um, we try and explain the reasons behind the legislation. So we give we give our potential customers when, when we're speaking to them the reasons why that legislation has been put in place, um, whether that be facts and figures, whether that be statistics. And like you say, it's not for the fear element, but it's so that they're aware because this, I think, it's a little bit like this ignorance is bliss. Um, if they're not aware, then why would they think about it? So so we don't go down the you must have route. We go down the, this is the reason why, and this is the reason why it's a good reason for you to have the people trained. There, there is a benefit. So we're doing the not only a necessity, but a benefit to the training. Um, and... I suppose in a way letting the company make their own mind up about it and coming to their own conclusion that actually, yes, I can see the benefit for that. Um, so we, we never go in with the fear cell, do we? We, we try not to, to go down that route because like you've said yourself, Simon, it doesn't work. It's not a nice, it's not a nice position for the salesperson to be in and it's not a nice place for the customer to be in. No. Um, so it's trying to sort of find that balance of, of, yes, there is a necessity. Yes, there is a legality to this. However, you need to find that reason yourself. We try and give them the skills, the skill set, the, the knowledge, the, the reasoning to, to work it out for themselves as to why it's a good thing for their customers. And we also very much appreciate that every business is different. You cannot, it's, it's not a one size fits all. Um, even with the mandatory training, it is still not a one size fits all. Um, you know, you can't teach to a manufacturing plant in the same way as you would teach to a, an elderly care setting. It doesn't work like that. And so. Also, from, a, from, from the legal side of it, um, we do work on a, on a framework that is um slightly loose and flabby really um the H the hse whilst they are the legal background to this um they put nice woolly statements into it and we recommend and we you know and when you actually you were to try and guidance yes if you were to try and actually go to an employer and say this is your legal duty if they went back and looked at the the, the actual written statement that comes out from the hse the, the the health and safety executive actually they go well it recommends what does that mean does that mean i have to have well no you've got to do a risk assessment based on your own workplace oh. all right okay so actually they're not telling me i've got to have four first aiders well no you've got to make that decision the trouble comes when they get to the other end of it if they have had an accident or if they do have a mental health crisis in their, in their workplace then the the hse come back and say well was it was it appropriate was it uh, reasonable and appropriate and things like that and, and it's down to the employer to justify where their training was at that point and and we've got to try and sell this do you feel this is reasonable and justified? And, and if the employer says, well, yes, I do. We're then stuck between a rock and a hard place. We've got, we know what the HSE mean by this, but we're also, we can't then, as you said, go into this. Yes, but it's doom and disaster. And if you don't do this, you're going to be, you're going to be in trouble because realistically, what well, fingers crossed, actually they're never going to be in that position. They're not going to have the the serious life-threatening accident that then the HSE come and investigate and go, well, actually that's not reasonable and justified and you haven't done the right thing. Mm. You know, and they, they, three years down the line, well, we did training three years with you and we've never used it. Yes, but it doesn't mean you don't need it again just because you haven't used it because what happens in the next three years when you don't have it? Yeah, exactly. I think... Uh... It's, it, some of it's training that you hope you'll never need, essentially. Uh, you know, you don't want to have to have resuscitated somebody. Well, oh, that was value for money. Three people have had a heart attack. 
<laughs> exactly and that, that's exactly the, that's sort of partly the tact we go down sometimes we do make a joke of it we do make it fun we do make it it's such a dry subject I think with the best one in the world most of the subjects we teach are quite dry and they are they have got that serious element to them so we do we do try oh he's gonna butt in now so <laughs> are you calling my training dry that i'm i'm sorry i'm offended there um yeah but, it, but we just we just try and we try and make it as like you say and do, do the whole value for money if, if somebody's had a cardiac arrest or, and things like that because because it is it, it's just trying to get that engagement of people and get them on board and, and i think once people get on board with it if the training is worth it's it's value and if people can see the value of the training um which is what we which is what we try and do we try and give every learner that comes through our door that experience that you know it becomes it doesn't become a necessity it doesn't become a tick box it becomes a real benefit to both them and to the company um which is why we pride ourselves on our repeat business rate um it, it, sometimes it is getting them in that door that's that's the thing because it is a tick box exercise they don't want to be there it is like well as you've put it it's a pain purchase but i think once people get on board and if they get on board and if they can't start to see the benefit that it does even if they treat it as a team building exercise there is benefits to having it um, so I suppose, so um sorry I, I suppose that what you're describing as well is that if you're in a position where you're having to um well hard sell and really really convince someone that they uh, you know like you mentioned there bruce or uh, when there's a woolly ambiguous guideline rather than a mandate and you're saying yeah but if you're having to say yeah but to a client to me they're not a client they're not going to be a client that i don't really want them as a client i don't i don't want to almost have to twist their arm to to buy something that they really don't want and they don't see the value in and uh, where you're doing something that does have some uh, that there's an element of some legal requirement i'm interested in that that do you are you comfortable in walking away is that something that you've learned over the years and you you know you think oh well this, they're just not our they're just not a client of ours that you know how, how do you approach that yeah unfortunately yes there are there are a number of clients out there um uh, and and sometimes um you get them back you get them come back in the door um a while later on crutches uh, and well well it's essentially yeah i mean i i, I had a, a client recently who we'd done some training for in the past and and the the training that we'd done with them previously had um, been put off and put off and changed and times changed and numbers had changed and it was it was a real pain for us to, to sort of oh, do, do you know what and we, we did nearly give up with them and say do you know what if you want to go somewhere else you know it's it's you know it's just too much hassle for us to come back to you again and again and rearrange and reschedule mm -hmm. um, and then recently they sort of got in touch with us again and said right we're really keen on on this that and the other and we really want to be in the training room okay um so we we started a training course for them um it turned out that that, that actually that they were back in the training room because unfortunately somebody had had an accident um and that one first aider that they had on site that, that we'd previously trained um was the person that had the accident and they suddenly realized that ah it's not just about having one person on site that ticks a box. What about if it is? What if they're on holiday? What if they're away from the 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 the, the business for a while? So then it was like, okay, we've now realised that that this isn't just you know two sides of it. One, yes, we need first aiders because accidents happen, mm. or mental health crises happen in the workplace. Um, but also it might be that one person that you've trained. So that, that thing that we're banging the drum about saying you do realize you don't just have to have one. You, you could actually, if you look at it, you know, you need more than one person. Why? I've got, I've got one person. Fred, Fred, Fred will be good at it. He's, he's, he's our awesome first aider. Yeah. Well, Fred goes on holiday. Fred, Fred has accidents himself. Mm. Interested there. Cause when I do my own training, I have a sort of small number of, names that i always use when i'm giving examples is fred one of your go-to's you've got a fred as well i've got a I think fred. We all have a, yeah 
Yeah, yeah, Fred or Johnny. Johnny's quite. Uh, uh, yeah. Stuck on on girls' names for a while, and I bizarrely kept using the using the name Candice. I mean, I don't know where the hell that came from, and it became that's an odd name. <laughs> Yeah, and it became so ingrained that we got some we got some goldfish and we named one of them Candice. So uh, okay. uh, I got it out of my system then. When she died, I couldn't bring myself to say it anymore. So I moved on and started using, started using Jean. I don't know where that came from Jean? either. Well, we obviously have the standard Annie because that's what the Vsauce Annie's. So we do have Annie, um, but we do we do pet first aid and we have some we have some um, pet. Uh, mannequins, pet dog, and now they because they came from IKEA. They're Bjorn and Benny. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so yes, I think I think names. It, but you're right. Girls' names are tricky. You mm. you need to find a girl's name. It's always men in your courses that have issues, isn't it? I you suppose you've got Frida. If you if you want Fred and Frida, you can't go wrong. But okay, so I'm interested then to 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 move on. You mentioned mental health a little bit, and we've got a couple of things I'd like to cover on that. I'm I'm quite open with mental health. Um, I did a, um, a mental health advocacy um, certificate earlier earlier this year, which I know only only really scratches the surface um, in terms of being able to assist people. And then I, I work alone, so I think that if I was having a conversation on my own in my office that would probably be an early sign that I did certainly need some help but I am um, I'm a very open that about eight years ago I, I had a breakdown because I won't go into all the reasons why but I didn't deal with with something at the time and it and, and then I carry that baggage around with me for for eight years and then lo and behold despite people telling me you're going to end up in a puddle I, I ignored them and ended up in a puddle who could have possibly foreseen that and um it it gave me a new insight essentially in one sense it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it gave me a a, a new uh, a new level of compassion and understanding and, and and the rest of it it sort of almost needed to happen but you obviously share um we obviously share a passion about um about this this topic and i'm just sort of interested not with not going into personal details but why that why that's such a passion for yourselves really i've been in a, a situation where i've been around sufferers of mental health um, oh. illness. um i've seen the debilitating effect it can have on all areas of their lives whether it be workplace family situations um and sadly i've been a part of that um it's not for me personally but certainly people loved ones around me mm. um i'll admit that back then that my lack of knowledge my lack of empathy um my lack of understanding maybe made the situation worse so it certainly if it didn't make it worse it certainly didn't help it um had i have known then what i know now then possibly things could be different um i think i think that for me that's the personal element for me is just get that knowledge out there um and i think i but it, it pleases me that it is becoming more to the forefront that people are talking about it. the stigmas are slowly being being chipped away at um so from a from a personal perspective that 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 does please me um, having been in that situation where I've seen it affect other people I say it, it wasn't myself I'm you know I'm very grateful for that but it did affect a lot of people around me at the time um, yeah and it's it's hard it's tough. Do you feel that um, when you're having those initial conversations with customers that maybe compared with well even sort of four or five years ago people are, are, are more open to considering you know that that sort of gatekeeper oh we we don't need that you know that's not a thing you know it, it, is it are people more I mean I person my personal experience is that uh, the newer generations the younger generations are much more open about and aware of their mental health than uh, than, than than people my age and older perhaps is that fair yeah uh, I think we've made more of the link or or employers are more um, aware of the link between mind and body um, one of the conversations I have with them is um, about their sickness and absenteeism maybe um, chatting to them about that and so okay so you know how many days off a year do you have could could that be improved do you think you know there's any way that you can improve those those sickness levels inside your workplace and like or would you like to improve those sickness levels within your 
workplace. Yeah, brilliant. And of course, they buy into that and they're like, yeah, of course we would. You know, that's that's obvious. There's no problem. Right. OK. Um, so um, why do people take time off? Well, because they're, they're there in the morning and they're, they're, they, they phone up with the bad back or um, the cold, the sickness. Um, I've got diarrhea and vomiting today. Um, and I think I've probably been one of those people that has phoned in on a day, you know, on a, on a Monday morning. And, and um, yeah, I'll be honest, I've probably occasionally phoned in for um, maybe just because I've felt like a day off and, and you know, been been sick. Uh, I, I can't do it now because obviously, you know, the, the, the boss is sat next to me. Uh, <laughs> um, but back in the days when I was like, but actually how much of that, sickness those those phone calls do they get in the morning is about true physical sickness and how much of it is actually a mental health well-being and the physical elements yes maybe they are throwing up this morning but why are they throwing up actually it could be nerves it could be a, a mental health issue that's actually the trigger of all this and actually making that link between the physical and the mental um actually if we start if we start looking at the the mental health side of it can we improve the mental health can we improve the workplace dynamic can we improve how they feel about coming to work and supported and reassured that that you know this is going on um and yeah just just sort of improve the whole dynamic of being at workplace and oh actually people are happier to be at work so therefore they turn up more often um and because they feel supported in their mental health and they yeah if if they're having a bad day they can walk into the boss's office and have a chat to the boss and or the hr department or whoever it is in the workplace that is their mental health champion and say look, I'm really not coping at the moment, whatever it is, please could you have a conversation with me? Can we go and have a conversation with HR or my line manager and and see if there's anything I can do about this? You know, I've got I've got a nightmare of workload. Um, what what can we do about it? Actually, yeah, we can we can have a conversation. Look, we can we can take that off you or we can we can restructure this, we can move that around and actually sort of support their mental health. To support their production, their output. If if they're in a better headspace, working, then they're, they're going to have a higher production, a higher output. That the company's going to get more out of it. Yeah. Um, you know, going from a, an HR point of view, it, you know, one of the the simple facts of of HR is that recruitment, employment, and training is a huge cost in a business. Yes. If we can retain happy staff then they're, they're going to produce more. Um, there's a, a reference point that I always use about um, a, a company that um, took over another company. They bought them out uh, and they moved the company around, not not physically, but but just moved the, the, um, the way of working around, improved break time facilities, improved the uh, environment that they were working in, improved employee support, uh, and their production went up. Mm. You know, they spent a small amount of money in the long term things, and and they weren't having the absenteeism. They were supporting, um, and you know, the 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 workplace was coming to work happier um, mm. and working more. They were happy to. Oh, actually, when you get to that um, uh, traditional uh, bell at the end of the day, if you think about a sort of a factory unit that the, the klaxon goes off, see so down tools. Actually, the staff were going. Well, I'll just finish this one off, and I'll and I'll put that in the box because actually I know in the morning that that it you know it, that they'll they'll work me back, and it will you know um, a bit of payback comes around, and actually sort of work appreciation, you know, a bit of just just as simple as thank you for that, you did really well, yeah, uh, and just having employers that are appreciative and and somebody they can talk to. So there's um there's quite a lot of um. A more old-fashioned type of company, I suppose. There was uh, not a lot of carrot and plenty of stick. And that, <laughs> ba you know, that balance, um, you know, it can be difficult at times because what tends, you, you'll experience it as well, what tends to happen is when things aren't going so well in business, the natural instinct is to get a bigger stick. Um, whereas, um, actually, 
you know if you if you get that balance right and really look after people in times of adversity then you're right that you tend to get that that payback but what what i'm interested in then when i've done my own counseling before people have um well the counselors have talked about you know everyone's has an, a, a a bucket essentially and uh if you if you you'll know this and you, and you see it as um as a, a bucket of resilience so there's things going on you know there's the daily stuff and the boring stuff and the shopping and the kids and the dogs got a bit of glass in its paw and oh god i've got to go to the vet and all these micro stresses that sort of build up and then um you, 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 know, you, you seem to have spent a day in our house <laughs> and and yeah well, that's it it's it's the it's the same for most people you know and we all have these um, ways of poking a hole in that bucket, but it's like kaplunk, really, where you've got mm. people have different things. They have, well, taking the dog for a walk, going to the gym. Some people go to the pub, go to the bingo, whatever it is that they do to to relieve that stress. And obviously, during a global pandemic, a, a lot of people have struggled to be able to do those things to stop the bucket from overflowing and. Then, therefore, you know, there's a there's a, a mental health crisis essentially. But um, to keep it slightly lighter, I suppose I'm, I'm interested. Then you're running a business; it can be stressful. Um, what do you do to make sure that your pocket doesn't overflow and, and you you have some resilience for when that grenade happens? You've actually got the ability to cope with it. Yeah, so there's 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 a simple one word answer to this: gin. <laughs> <laughs> I think somebody somebody once described what do you do when your bucket overflows? You drink it. <laughs> That's, but which is um, yeah a bit a bit of a blase uh, uh, outlook on it. But no, it is it is very difficult. And I think everybody, um, I think especially with COVID as well now, people are obviously thrown into a bit of a, sen a false sense of security suddenly people did have time and they did have all this this ability to be able to do things that they perhaps weren't doing when they were busy working so i think it's had a bit of a double-edged sword really um now people are gradually going back to work and people are having to fit in their and I suppose I am talking from personal experience. You know, I've had six months working from home, looking after the children. It's had its stresses, but suddenly the children are going back to school. I'm now chucking myself back into full-time work. So it, it, it's, it's trying to get that balance. Um, we we try and take as much time out as we possibly can. Um, it is hard when you're running a business. We've spoke about it earlier in, in this podcast to say that, you know, we don't particularly have time off as such. Um, but we do, we do make a conscious effort to take time out. Um, we, we take time independently. We do make that, that effort to, which sounds awful that we just sort of, but we do take that time to try and have some time independently away from everything. Um, Bruce likes to say that we have downtime where we turn our phones off and things like that. Unfortunately. Well, I like, I like to think we turn our phones off. Uh, I think the face that was pulled when I was discussing this earlier with Emma uh, sort of says that I probably never turn my phone off. Uh, and, and I, yeah, um, love to say work-life balance and, 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 and part of me well, does want to because it is, it is down to that. It is about making sure that, that you do take time out. Um, just, yeah, um, it, is, it is difficult. We have 24-7 communication. We have web chats that come through at, at 10 o'clock at night and six o'clock in the morning. And, and we've got to look at, you know, when we connect to those and, and being a, a small company that wants to um, work with our customers when they want to work. We pride ourselves on weekend working, evening working. If you if your company needs a training session at a particular time that suits your company, we will try and fulfil that, um, which does mean that we take sort of slightly weird times. Um, but yeah, we do we do try and get away and switch off and and uh, and have time out, um, and and just yeah, just I, I I was as well joking about the well to a certain extent joking about the gin at the beginning, but but there is a relaxation time and mm -hmm. um, and within reason, yeah, there is a 
yeah, a pop to the pub and, and, and have a couple of hours of actually away from try and put the phone down and, and hope that um, that horrible email doesn't come through that actually we need to action right now. Um, uh, and, you know, we are a responsive business with events and, and training going on. We have staff out um, potentially on events 24 hours a day. I'm their line manager, so I have to be available, you know, if they're on an event at two o'clock in the morning, um, then, you know, I, I have to be responsive to that. And so, yeah, or find somebody to fill that gap. We do. One thing that we do do with, with Bruce just touched upon the event work, um, which is where we go out, we provide medical support for um, such as driving cinemas, that did, events that are taking place. And as sad as this may sound, we do try and plan sometimes where we go on an event together. Right. So we are the, the attending first aiders right. um, because although we are there to do a job and we are there to be on call, we are there as a, as a service. It also just gives us that bit of time. The drive-in cinema was great, wasn't it? Because yeah. we got to, we got to be a part of the drive-in cinema. I mean, we were there with kit. We were there with the equipment. Should anything have happened, we'd have been on, we were obviously available and on standby, but we got to go to a drive-in cinema. And, and so for us, it was a bit of a date night, <laughs> although it, it was, we were working. So we do try, and if we can, we organise things like that, because, you know, obviously knows how to treat a girl. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, date, date, why don't you come on a date to a drive-in cinema in my ambulance? Oh, great, that sounds, that sounds fantastic. I, I, I sound like the catch in the century, don't I? No <laughs> comment. Um, <laughs> thanks uh, a bit of support at that point would have been lovely but no never mind Simon thank you so Emma then I, I'm, I'm interested in something that I read um, in preparation for this that I read that um, it's a mental health foundation report that women in the UK apparently are almost twice as likely to experience mental health issues um, whilst employed compared with, with the likes of me um, and I'm, I'm interested in your, your take in particular on that and, um, you know, what experience you have when talking to customers. Is, is this something that when you're on the coal face, like, like you both are, that is very apparent? Because I was shocked, if I'm honest. I think it's that there is obviously that research is out there that women are are more they're twice as likely to be diagnosed with a mental health condition, I think right. is. Um, however, there is. Um, on the suicide front is actually a, a significantly less women uh, uh, will commit suicide than men. There, there's conflicting information out there. I think in my opinion, um, the, the, the figures are a little bit misleading because I think it's more to do with disclosure. Um, women are a lot more likely to talk about their feelings. They're a lot more likely to go and present at the doctors um, to discuss how they're feeling. So therefore they get that diagnosis, which is where a lot of the report structure comes from, yeah. is formal diagnosis. Um, I think for men, they, they tend to skirt around it. I think is, and I am generalising, and I don't, I don't no, mean I, to be blasé about that, but it is a generalisation that men, fight, they, they rather than going, I feel sad, a man, I don't think that that would come easy for a, a male to say. Whereas a, women, I think, are a lot more likely to to discuss how they actually feel. So therefore, that diagnosis, which is where the reports come in. Um, that said, I think women generally have the additional burdens in life. They have, again, very generalisation, but it, childcare, um, trying to hold down a job, the guilt that that comes with, you know, if the child's off sick, uh, generally it falls to the woman to then have to deal with that in the workplace. So I think from, from an outside stressful situation, um, I think women do do have that added pressure um so we do and i think that we do see that in the training room we do but i think on the same token women are a lot more open to discuss it they're a lot more open to discussion they're a lot more open so actually i feel like that whereas a, a a male would maybe sit there and and think they think that and they think they feel that but would struggle to to verbalize it i, I, th I think it's i think it's pre-programmed then I think I think from from a from um, an experience point of view, um, and I think from a personal point of view, for you know, it, it's it's pre-programmed into us from a very young age 
that that certain people can discuss could discuss certain things and 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 certain things are non-discussable and and um there's a there's a male element of we don't discuss that yeah you're right it's it, it's open to interpretation isn't it i think that's an interesting point that you make about about diagnosis um you know men they say men are more inclined to start a sentence with i think and women are more inclined to start a sentence with i feel i feel exactly and i think that's a really a really big point and i think a lot of these reports although i i, th I think the reports are great i think the statistics need to be out there the statistics are obviously very important i think they are slightly misleading in that respect because it generally they are done on formal diagnosis and I do, I do think that the the ratio of sufferers is probably a lot more even than what we give it credit for. Mm. Um, and I think it is purely just down to the fact that a, a woman will, will get that diagnosis quicker and have that 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 conversation quicker than possibly a male would. And I think a male would quite often be misdiagnosed because they're not as true to their feelings. Um, so yeah, that, that's. So that's my feeling on that. That's my opinion. No, the statistics are there to be interpreted, aren't they? Okay, so five-year business plans used to be a thing when people could look that far ahead, you know? And uh, then they sort of became three-year plans because that became the new thing. You know, let's just do three years and really focus. And then <laughs> thinking a year ahead in 2020 is sort of, well it's difficult shall we say you know it, it's a scary thing 12 months because it, you know things are changing on almost a week-to-week -week basis um so you're essentially selling the long-term benefits of um mental health advocacy and training in the workplace because it's not the type of thing where you sit well correct me if i'm wrong but you're not like you're not likely to see an instant you know an instant uh, return on investment you know um like a lot of training so how how do you approach that because that to me from a sales perspective is is quite a challenge when people are looking at their budgets they're looking at you know um if it's not a revenue generating stream then it's on hold or it's or whatever it whatever it might be so how how are you sort of strategically approaching this I suppose the biggest one. How are you selling yourself out of a pandemic, Bruce? Tell us all how to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. I suppose a couple of elements with that. Um, yes, yes, we have we have got that sort of um, slightly short sightedness from from businesses, um, and and I can understand why as a business myself. Yes, you know, struggling with cash flow and focusing on the the things that are actually going to develop us uh, a generated income. Yeah, men mental health training can seem like uh, it's not. Um, I, I think I go back to sort of as we discussed earlier on and, and sort of maybe production of the workforce and, and looking at how well the workforce is working. Um, it, from, from a sales point of view at the minute, I think actually as much as the, the pandemic and, and this, this is going to sound like I'm cashing in and I really, really don't want this to sound wrong. But actually right now, mental health is is probably on the tip of everybody's tongue and we are all very very aware that that a world pandemic does not do well for the workforce and we have got a lot of people out there with mental health issues potentially related to or exacerbated by this pandemic and and to be able to say to an employer at the moment actually you know what you need to look at the long-term well-being of your staff you know if you want to get back into the workplace um we've almost got to a point we, we've, we've got to a sort of a tipping point now with with workplaces over the last few months while they were on downtime while they were working from home while everything was um on shutdown lockdown and workers were sat at home we were able to do quite a bit of um zoom uh, or uh, google meets uh, online forum training because the workplaces were sat at home and we can say to the hr team look they're all sat there they're all sat there in front of a the computer we can do this remotely we can get some training out to them 
quite a few workplaces took it on from a because it's a the the mental health training certainly if nothing else is something that we can do remotely and you yeah. could still train whilst people were on furlough as well it didn't break that rule yeah. did it exactly exactly so so we were we were sort of a bit lucky with that obviously from a very unlucky point of view with 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 pandemic and i don't want any of this to sound you know there was there's huge problems lots of people have died and, and i don't never want to say well you know fantastic we we cashed in on that really well um but there was there was things going on um now now we're starting you know production was down so we could we could talk to the workforce uh, in a in a furlough situation um, now, um, yeah, people are coming back um, uh, and they're seeing, you know, all the differences. People are walking into workplaces. They're walking in with masks on. Um, young people are walking back into school um, just this week. Um, and, you know, a lot of mental health, um, mental well-being, uh, or mental ill health uh, starts uh, from a very young age there is going to be a very long term, you know, the workforce that's going to be starting in five years time are coming out of the top end of, of high schools now going into universities. Um, we're, we're at, you know, a university next week doing um, training for um, their, one of their particular um, projects that, that work with the, the nighttime economy. Um, yes. I don't think it's a, you know, um, a, a surprise that, that students like, um, the nighttime economy, the, the the pubs and the clubs and things like that, but it's also a trigger point. I, I joked about gin and alcohol earlier in in the sort of the relaxation states, but it's also a trigger point for for mental health. So we will be talking to them during their their, their week's training about about mental health and how to support um, the, the the young people that they're going to be working with over the next couple of weeks, who will be the future of the employment workforce um the, the those business people that are um listening to this that are going to be employing staff in the next few years you've got to think that that actually you're going to be taking on a workforce that that is potentially struggling we're coming out the back end of a pandemic um and realization that that the whole world's changed uh, and we're now upside down and that's that's really scary for young people i uh I could talk to you about this stuff forever, but there's, uh, I've said before, there's like an optimum time for a podcast. So I've got to try and nail this. And even after, even after the edit, although of course this has been absolutely seamless and won't need any editing at all. Um, I have to try and try and facilitate this, uh, like a, like a good salesperson, um, and draw it to a close. Maybe there's room for a, for, to revisit this in a future episode, but, what I like and I really appreciate, it's been really fascinating. What I like to end with is a sales tip from my guest. And what I'm delighted about this time is that the um, the listener gets um, a bog off, uh, buy one, get one free, although not buying. So I can end with with a bog off. And uh, if I don't know who wants to start, but I'd love a, love a sales tip from you as long as it's not people buy from people because oh. that one, I know, that one, uh, you know, who everyone knows already. I'm interested in your, your, your own sales tip. If you can give one sales tip uh, to the listeners, what would it be? I, I'll, I'll just uh, just mention the dynamic. You mentioned about knowing the dynamic. I have just had an elbow in the rib that says I'm going first. Uh, so I'll pass this over to Emma. Because um, the dynamic is obviously that I'm told that, that she's going first. Okay. Um, okay, so if I can't use people, buy from people, then no. Um, my, my main sales tip is to plan, to take the time to understand your customer. Um, doing that little bit of, you know, research, recognising their needs before they do. That's sort of my my tip. Um, if in our business we understand an organisation's legal and mandatory requirements, as we've spoken about in the podcast, we pitch a sale to that level. And if they think that we've taken the time to understand their needs and understand what their their legal and mandatory requirements are, um, it, it it gives us that added credibility and that added, added trustworthiness. So, so yeah, my, my biggest sales tip is to plan. Uh, yeah, that, that actually, uh, Emma, you've, you've kind of stolen a little bit of mine there um, because credibility, um, mine, mine was um, uh, my three key words, uh, honest, 
genuine confident confident about what we're selling confident about the products that we've got out there um we hopefully and i hope we do put out an absolutely excellent product uh so i'm confident when i walk into to sales meetings and things that, that i'm offering the the best product that they can possibly get um possibly sometimes to to, to our downfall in that that you know i don't trust anybody you know we were talking about me being in the training room uh one of the things that i struggle with is is allowing somebody else into the training room um because they maybe don't do it to my standard um and i'm a little bit sort of a perfectionist with that so you know absolutely confident about the product um trying to be honest and, and genuine about what we've got you know we we, we have a genuine I think, I hope, and this is where my confidence and, and I hope that doesn't sort of uh, sprang into arrogance and, 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 you know, I hope we can spot when something's going wrong, um, but, but genuinely confident about the thing that we're selling and, and really happy that, that we are giving them the absolute best product that they can possibly. So that, that's hopefully where it comes out through in my sales that, that I can sit there and, you know, hand on heart, sell them something that I really believe in. Well, thank you very much for both joining me on the podcast. You can breathe easily now, and uh, I really appreciate it. It's been f- fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, Simon. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Yes, it's been an absolute pleasure.